men and women, sons and daughters, all right, children of the Most High God, young and old, right? Mm -hmm. Saints and ain'ts, welcome. <laughs> we ready, all right? You know, because some people be thinking they saints, but all right, so. All right. Hey, we got a lot of work to do today, so let's chop it up. Okay, if you have your Bibles in Nehemiah chapter 2 is where we're going to be. Look, Sean ain't going to be able to get over that. He, like, <laughs> he ain't going to listen to none of the sermons. Uh, hey, as we're turning there, uh, we last left off with Nehemiah. He was praying and mourning and weeping and fasting, uh, really seeking vision for God. And just for quick reference to last week's sermon, because it feeds into this one, here's what we saw last week. You'll see it there on the screen, that uh, this care or prayer or scripture Etc. Those six things that we mentioned, these are what breed or really lead us into vision as a people of God. There's a lot of other things that we didn't mention that actually breed or create vision as well. You have things like history, which actually creates vision, and understanding history gives you a vision as to what God is going to do in the future. Yeah. We actually know that Nehemiah understood the history really, really well. There was actually prophecies that are going to be fulfilled in this chapter from the book of Daniel which Nehemiah understands. And so what God has done historically substantially informs what he's going to do in the future. Yeah. So there's a lot of other things that breed vision as well, but just for our context, those six things were what we were talking about and really how we can gain vision in this way. But Nehemiah, what he's doing here is he's about to gain this vision that's going to make an impact in his generation and really bless the kingdom of God at large, even down to our generation today. So as he's praying, as he's pleading, as he's seeking God's face, he's really beginning to prepare his heart to step into what God is calling him into to really make ripple effects into the kingdom at large. And I genuinely believe that if he has called you a child of God, he wants to do the same thing in your life. Yeah. And though you may not realize the blessings that will come 2,000 years later from your obedience today, it is real and it is true. And we see evidence of it even in this chapter. Yeah. And so Nehemiah, he creates this vision, and then we land with the last sentence saying he was a cupbearer to the king, which is really, really significant. So Nehemiah chapter 2, if you are there, say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bless the lamb, all right? We're going to pick it up in verse 1, and I'm going to have uh, my good friend, really a well OG, uh, Miss Sarah Fulgham, read that for us. So take it away, friend. Good morning, y'all. I'm Sarah Fulgham, Covenant Community member and help on the welcome team and production team. And my husband, Caleb, and I host the Brentwood Community Group on Tuesday evenings. I'll be reading Nehemiah 2, 1 through 8. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. 
and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for the God of, for the good hand of my God was upon me. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, the riches of the word of God, amen. Uh, hey, there's tons of things in this text today, but uh, I want us for our purposes to begin to look at how do we begin to move towards vision? And that's really the title of the sermon today is Moving Towards Vision. How do we begin to activate or even strategize within whatever vision God gives us? What does it look like for when God begins to give you a thought or a direction or vision or passion or even a command that he's encouraging you to follow? How can you begin to move towards that command to really see the vision of God unfold in your life and for the benefit of others around you? Once again, to re-reference last week, this can be vision in your individual life, and it can also be vision for your life life at large, or maybe even just a season in your life. And it can also be corporate vision, our vision collectively as the family of God, each of us investing into things that are bigger than we can ever do by ourselves. And so this can be big or small, individual or corporate, whatever it may look like. I think that God wants to speak to us and God wants to begin to give us that idea. So how can we begin to move towards vision and actually accomplish whatever it is that God puts on our heart? And so several cool things from the text that we see here right from the jump. First of all, we kick it off in Nisan, the month, which is about March or April timeframe. Now, Shizlev, which was chapter one setting that where that was placed in, was actually in November or December. And so Nehemiah has been praying beginning at Thanksgiving, and he finished off at Easter, yeah. right? Like the NBA play or season started, now it's in the playoffs, <laughs> right? Uh, Nehemiah was praying for four months, y'all. Okay, like, yo, if I pray for two days about the same thing, I'm like, yo, God, you ain't got no time for me, yeah. right? Like, and I begin to grow impatient in a way. Okay, now I won't belabor this point a bunch because we hit on it a lot last week, but sometimes when we're seeking vision from God, it takes time, family, and we have to be patient and really maintain a spirit, a prayerful spirit throughout the process at large because sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers not because he's slow to respond or deaf to our responses to him, but it's usually because he's trying to do something in us to prepare us for what he's going to do through us. Amen? Well, come on now. Okay. All right, now look at And then listen, often, okay, this preparation, it actually takes effect in the quiet place of prayer before the public place of ministry. And so prayer readies our hearts in a lot of ways. And so don't grow weary of praying, family of God. Let us lift up our prayers to God prayer, it always precedes vision and it also prepares you for vision as well. And so vision is, go, uh, is given to you as you go before God. And so point one you see there on the screen is that actually prayer moves us towards vision. That's the first idea of how we move towards vision is in a prayerful spirit. And I hope you felt that even in your heart this week, even as we prayed as a church collectively on Wednesday, I hope that God began to speak to you and you began to feel some vision or some inkling of what God was moving you towards, prayer, it readies us for vision. And it readied Nehemiah's heart for vision here very, very clearly. And God began to answer that prayer, and then he teed up this conversation with the king. Now, the context of the story is actually king in a lot of ways, and it will lead us to understanding this unreal faith that Nehemiah has in what he's about to ask, okay? First of all, 
Artaxerxes was actually the same king who stopped the work on the building of the wall in Jerusalem in the book of Ezra. Chapter 4, verse 21 is where you can see that here. This means that Nehemiah is about to ask the king to go against a word that the king has already given in that way and to change his word. Now, you don't got to be a scholar to know that ain't a good idea, right? What the king says goes in those contexts. In fact, it can actually be an embarrassment to go against your word and make you look like a poor leader, and Nehemiah is about to ask him to do just that. And so, first of all, this is amazing for that way, but second of all, the backdrop of Persia is actually key here as well, where they are living. You see, 15 years prior, there was actually a revolt in Egypt, which is closer to Israel than where they are at in Susa, and that revolt actually lasted five years, and it cost a lot of Persian cost as they went into war with the Egyptian area. And then just three years prior to this moment where Nehemiah is, a governor in the Trans-Euphrates region actually revolted as well and caused another war. Now, the Trans-Euphrates region is right where Israel was as well. It'd be like, say, in the Midwest, and Israel would be like Michigan in the Midwest, yeah. the best state in the Midwest, right? <laughs> I hear no cap in here, right? So that's what the idea is here. A governor in that region, he rebelled, and he caused this great war for Persia. So Nehemiah is about to make a request to undo the king's orders and go rebuild build where there was just rebellion against his kingdom. This is why Nehemiah drops that lifeline prayer, right? That, oh my God, please help me prayer, okay? It's a shotgun prayer is what I call it, right? Like a sniper prayer, you're like sitting down, drinking coffee, focused, you know what you want. That shotgun prayer is like, yo, I don't care what I hit, I just got to hit something, all right? And so that's what Nehemiah does here. And I would have been terrified if I was Nehemiah. Like the king is definitely in Nehemiah's mind going to be like, uh, and you want to do what? Hey, yo, Jack, come here, bro. Right? Hey, 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 Nene, tell Jack what you want to do. Okay? Right? Tell him what you just told me. Right? Yeah, cut off this dude's head. Okay? That's what he's gonna say. Okay? And so, however, however, okay, a different perspective, which is what we get when we're reading this text. We have the advantage and the privilege from seeing it in a different way. You see, Nehemiah chapter one, he has been a faithful cupbearer for many years now. In fact, there's something really important in that text that I want us to see there in verse two, it says that he had never been sad before the king before. This dude never had a bad day at work. He never woke up late. He never had a headache and was like, yo, I just ain't trying to do this today. He had never had a bad day. Nehemiah was faithful at his job. And so it was actually the king's care for Nehemiah that began to open up the concern because of Nehemiah's faithfulness, which is wild because the king should not concern himself for the people below him in that culture. Yet Nehemiah was so faithful that it began to pave that way. You see, Nehemiah was the exact opposite of those governors that were rebelling against the king. He was faithful, willing to take his own life in his hands as he was drinking before the king to make sure the king's life was safe. And so in irony, Nehemiah was actually probably a beautiful presence before the king, the opposite of what he was experiencing in other places and other people. Yeah. And so sometimes the situation around us, it 
doesn't look like it's in our favor, when in reality, it's actually God allowing things or even at times orchestrating things to happen so that his greater plan can take place. Help me now, come on, right? Because listen, spoiler alert, the end of the story, Artaxerxes actually makes Nehemiah the governor of the trans-Euphrates region twice, okay? Homie served two terms down there, right? (laughs) And I ain't making no awkward political statement either, all right? So don't be tripping, because I know how y'all be. I get an email, like, I ain't saying nothing about that, okay? But Nehemiah, he was faithful, and God was preparing the way for him, all right? In fact, God may have been allowing the rebellion to happen around Israel, and then actually setting up Nehemiah in the process to pave an even greater success, though Nehemiah probably couldn't see it from his position. And so uh, this is what usually happens in this way. Like, oftentimes, obstacles is actually God flexing his sovereign muscles. And we got to be able to see that, that these little barriers may be actually God working a greater story in the end. Translation, if God is calling you to do something, do it, y'all. It doesn't matter what obstacle may be in the way. Though the situations around you may make it seem like the timing is off, it may be God working in the background. And so it's actually, no, not it may be, it is God working in the background because he's always working in our midst for his glory, for our joy in him. And so maybe you feel like God in this season is calling you to read the Bible for 45 minutes a day and you're like, yo, I just had a kid. Like, how am I going to do that, right? And it feels like the situation is off. Be obedient in that, y'all. Or even as we look corporately and we think about planting 100 churches nationally and planting 100 churches internationally, and it's like, how are we going to do that? And we ain't even, we homeless. We ain't even got a home to meet in, right? And it may seem impossible. God is in the background doing things to complete the vision if we would but be obedient to what he's calling us to do. And so move toward what he's calling you to do with prayerfulness, with faith in his goodness, and with obedience, y'all. In fact, point two, all of what we just mentioned there is that God's providence moves us towards vision. His sovereignty, his provision in that way. We just have to walk in obedience to it, y'all. Be obedient, leave the consequences to God, okay? Something I said, too, that I don't want us to miss is that Nehemiah was really good at his job, and this actually readied the vision to be complete, and it moved Nehemiah in position to do what God was calling him to do. It was an unbelievable witness in his following of Yahweh, the one true God, just as our good job, our job well done, is an unbelievable witness of our following of Christ, our one true God. And Nehemiah's following and faithfulness prepared him for the way. I don't want us to miss that. And so point three is actually that faithfulness moves us towards vision. Where we are faithful with little, God entrusts us with more. And even the world is impressed at our faithfulness. And it takes notice. You dig what I'm saying? And so this is actually beginning to move towards vision completion or accomplishment where we are faithful where God has us. And so he's praying God is moving in the background and his past faithfulness is about to set up his current success. And then the king is like, cool, cool. Like, I feel you. So so what you want, right? Like, that's cute. But what you asking me for, doc? All right, that's what the king's saying there in verse four, okay? I don't know why I see this king as like a hood king, right? But that's how I see Artaxerxes, all right? Like, my man's name got a couple of X's in it, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, okay, and so we actually see something really, really important here, okay? Nehemiah, y'all, he's actually been 
scheming behind the scenes, yeah. all right? Yeah. He's been setting up plans and processes and systems and policies. Like, he's ready to go, yo. And so it's kind of like if you're married and your spouse is like, uh, like, hey, what can I do to be like a better wife, mm-hmm. you know? And you're like, uh, I don't know, babe. Like, you're killing it, yeah. you know? Like, like, outside of Christ, you're God's greatest mm-hmm. gift to me. Yeah. And then you're like, what, what can I do to be a better husband? She's like, ah, oh, you know, I don't really know. And like, pulls out a <laughs> I just got like seven things real quick. It's like, you were scheming, right? Setting me up for it, okay? Nehemiah, he's setting it up. By the way, my wife don't be doing that, y'all, okay? She just tells me straight when I be tweaking, all right? And so, uh, but Nehemiah, in all of his prayer and actually leading uh, God's direction for vision, Nehemiah was actually moving towards that vision as well. So that when he was asked the question, he was ready to give the answer in that way. He meditated long enough on the vision to have ideas as to what this vision completion would actually mean and what it would take. And so Nehemiah wasn't just praying, he was also planning, right? We have a part to play in the story of God, y'all. Like, look at these verses, in fact. In verse six there, you see it on the screen. He knew how long it would take to complete this plan. In verse seven, he knew the authorization that would be needed to complete this plan. In verse eight, he knew the materials that was needed to complete this plan. He's like, "Uh, according to code eight, section seven, line 32, we're gonna have to change the zone if we wanna put a skylight in, right? He was schooled in verse and ready to go, right? In fact, Nehemiah is looking to have the prayer answered with his own hands, y'all. And that's actually really important. He is the one that wants to be used by God. And so prayer leads to vision, leads to a heart that wants to see impact being made, leads to us asking and leads to us acting as well. Sometimes because we can without realizing it, we actually wanna see change happen and we wanna see vision completed. We just hope that someone else does it. God wants to use you, family of God. He has saved you that he might then lay out good works through you as we saw in Ephesians 2.10 last week. And so if we're planting 100 churches corporately or sending hundreds of missionaries overseas to establish hundreds of churches overseas, like God needs each of us to play a part in that process, not just the missionary that's going. He needs us to be praying for them or us to be giving to them to make a way or asking our own hearts if we're the ones that are supposed to go, or he needs us serving the church to create a space that they might hear the word and be encouraged to go forth, or community groups that are caring for them so that they feel supported as they're in a foreign country. Every single person has a part to play. And so we can see here in our fourth point that really planning, it often moves us towards vision accomplishment, y'all. Nehemiah, he was ready to go, and his planning moved him towards vision and towards seeing vision completed. And so if God is exhorting you through his spirit to say, read the Bible more this year, man, pray through that and begin to uh, see God's sovereign hand working even this encouragement as you're listening on the screen and begin to move in faithfulness, but then create a plan for it. Like get a Bible reading plan. That's a good thing to begin to try to fulfill the vision that God has given you. Now, 
notice verses two through eight, they actually happen in one single moment here. This is one conversation. The story really slows down and it zooms in so that we're able to really focus on what God is doing. And you see, Nehemiah, he didn't come with like a PowerPoint or something, right? Like, well, if you see on slide six here, right? Like that's not what he did, okay? He had been planning and so he was ready when opportunity came, all right? He wasn't caught flat-footed. He knew what the mission and vision of God was and was ready to act when opportunity presented itself. And so are we faithful? Are we planning our lives today so that when the moment does come, we're ready to move with God too? And so Nehemiah, this is a dope book, yo. Like, all right? And the whole Bible is dope, obviously, but our boy Nene dropping them bops today, all right? So he's killing it. So I want to finish this chapter because it actually sends some repeat messages to us just to re-emphasize its point. And so we're going to pick it up in verse 9, and I'm going to have your bride, my baby, your wife, <laughs> your lady, right? Mrs. Danielle, read that for us. Take it away, friend. Hi everyone, my name is Danielle Iswini. I'm a covenant member here at The Well and I also attend the Soul Lab CG. Um, today we're gonna be reading from Nehemiah chapter two, verses nine through 20. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen, but when Sanballat the Heronite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there for three days. Then I rose in the night, I and a few men with me. And I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me, but the one on which I rode. I went out by the night, the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. And then I went up into the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins when its gates burned? Come, let us build the walls of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them, and I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But then Sanballat the Heronite and Tobiah the Ammonite, servant, and Geshem the Arab, heard of it. They jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, awesome. Thank you, friends. So two more quick points here, but then I want to actually look at this passage at large as well, because prayer obviously moved Nehemiah into this vision, and then God's providence allowed him to begin to complete the vision. Back to our second point. So notice that the king provided everything that Nehemiah asked. You see there on the screen in verse 8, but he actually also gave him more than what he asked as well. We see there in verse 9. And even though the human king did it, Nehemiah recognized that it was actually God's provision in the process. And so we see point one and two being fleshed out again here in this passage. In fact, it was actually probably giving Nehemiah confidence that his 
vision was actually God's vision because what he was praying for was actually contextually and culturally large. It was actually happening now. Like this wild event was beginning to take place. The king's physical provision is confirming God, the true king's spiritual vision. And so this is what we see here. Once again, Nehemiah's faithfulness then takes into effect. To our third point, like look at verse 12 and 13, for example. You can see it all throughout this text, actually, but he's going out at night, he's inspecting the wall, he's with just a few men, he's on the ground, right? I mean, he's the leader that could have given charges and commands, and yet instead he's there amongst his people, observing it himself. He is being faithful, once again, to the vision that God has given him. And the wild thing is that Nehemiah rides at night through these gates with just a few men, and 500 years later, Jesus would pass through those same gates with just a few men to pray in the garden, to die on the cross, to deliver us for our sins. Nehemiah, he prepared the way for Israel's restoration, which led the way to Jesus' coming, and Jesus would walk the same path at night, y'all. Nehemiah couldn't even have realized what his faithfulness was preparing, but it was preparing the way. In fact, who knew that Nehemiah's faithfulness here would lead to your faith today? Because he was faithful, Israel was restored and the Messiah came. And so that's why I keep saying our faithfulness today, Nehemiah did not know that we'd be shooting a guided gathering. He didn't know what Austin, Texas was. He didn't know what Europeans were probably. Like there was a lot of stuff he didn't know, right? And yet here we go. We are saved now because of his faithfulness. Your faithfulness, it makes impact in future generations, y'all. We gotta believe that. And when you're faithful with little, God will also give you much. The scripture's really clear about that. And so when you're faithful with that much then, eternities begin to change. And we can see it even here in this text, right? In fact, be faithful where you are. I wanna encourage us in that. And be faithful in what God is calling you to do because you may be paving the way for the Messiah just like Nehemiah was in somebody else's life, okay? And so he's faithful. And then he's planning again to our fourth point. We see him once again, look down the screen, inspecting the walls in verse 13. He's walking all throughout Jerusalem here. Nehemiah is essentially saying, hey, I know what the report said in Susa, like at Command Central, but I wanna go see it myself, right? I wanna see what God is doing here. He's planning, he's visioning. So he repeats those four steps that we just mentioned where in the palace we see it on the ground again. Why? Why does he repeat those four things again? Because we should continue to move towards vision in these ways because when we move towards vision, vision grows. And then we keep growing within that. Y'all tracking with that, right? And so what starts off with you just reading the Bible actually ends with who knows what God is calling you to do because God keeps building upon it. So we actually keep going back to week one of this message, how we breed vision. And now in this week, how we accomplish it in every step as we are faithful and as we see God's sovereign provision in our life and as we plan amongst it, but as we are prayerful, God keeps growing that vision. And that's what we see in Nehemiah here once again. Now there's actually a bunch of other stuff that I wanna purposely leave out because we're gonna talk about in the upcoming 
weeks in Nehemiah, but even the fact that Nehemiah is now calling others into this vision with him, making his vision their vision as well, God always places people in certain settings to come together to accomplish a greater vision. We'll talk about that more next week, okay? But there are two things I want to quickly highlight before we look at what this means for us and really where we go from here. First of all, we're going to talk about this a ton in depth in the upcoming weeks, so I won't belabor the point today, but the fifth point I want us to see is that opposition moves within vision always. When you are trying to do the will of God, when you are trying to push back darkness, darkness pushes back, y'all. We see in verse 19, you see there on the screen that there's actually this building hostility from Samaria to the north and from Ammon to the east and other enemies as well. In fact, sometimes rather than feel like God is hedging you in on all sides, it actually feels like the enemies are the ones that are surrounding you. Once again, we'll spend a whole week on this, but you see Sam and Tobiah and Geshem there, the haters, right? They jealous, they petty, actually, right? Okay, but here's the deal. Every time you are operating in the plans and in the will of God, you have to know that you will face opposition, y'all. We live in a broken and in a fallen world. In fact, oftentimes, opposition is actually the evidence that you are in the will of God in the first place. Now, at times, okay, you're facing opposition because you're tripping, okay? And so, uh, don't be trying to use your self-made persecution because of your sin be the same as opposition. Those are two different things, y'all, okay? But there is a kingdom of darkness, and we do have an enemy, and he does use this world or even humans to try to push back the light that we are wanting to shine on this world. He just never wins, y'all. And so he may have a good punch here and there, but darkness is always pushed back. We just have to stay close to the light in the process. More on this in a few weeks, okay? But I say that today to say vision is hard, y'all. Like, it's not just this easy thing. You see, the dreaming is kind of fun, but the execution is sometimes hard. Nehemiah is out here in the middle of the night, walking through walls. Everything's broken down and burned, and this isn't like a fairy tale setting, right? And we can kind of romanticize this, but this probably would have even been scary for Nehemiah as these enemies are coming, ready to fight, and he knew that wars were just breaking out in the same region. And yet, here he is trying to walk in the will of God because simple faithfulness, that's our job, right? And so maybe that is what God is calling you to do in this season is he's given you vision is to be faithful in the word or to be faithful at your job or to serve in our church or to love your friend and whatever it might be, y'all, it's going to be hard at times. It's not always going to be easy. I mean, the original request that Nehemiah made should have got his head chopped off by the king. So even the asking of the vision would have been hard. And so whether or not God is calling you toward your life calling or toward a simple obedient step today, there's going to be opposition. Darkness is real. It's just pathetic compared to our king. Okay. But we got to realize the real nature of it. Now, all of this is cool. All right. All of what Nehemiah is cool. But if it's just for building a wall, then what purpose is it? Right? Like if all of this is just about the restoration of a city, then what does that contextually have to do with the universe as grand as it is? Why is this story captured in the scriptures? Well, it's because of our last point for the day. And it's that all vision moves towards Jesus or towards his kingdom, y'all. 
all vision, when it's from the Lord, it moves towards Jesus or it moves towards the expansion of his kingdom. You're calling your vision what the spirit of God is putting on your heart to do. It will ultimately lead you and others around you. By the way, it's both at the same time, not just you. Your edification is for the enrichment of others, okay? And your enrichment of others actually gives you edification. So it's moving you and others into a closer relationship with Jesus or into the expansion of the kingdom, even when you can't see it, y'all. And all vision leads to that. Once again, Nehemiah did not know that he was directly paving the way from the Messiah, but he was faithful and he did it. And you have no idea how following God at work right now, where he has you, being faithful at the job that you don't even like, is gonna give you some analogy that you're gonna be able to use with a neighbor 10 years from now. And you're gonna lead that neighbor to faith and that neighbor is going to disciple his daughter and his daughter is going to turn into an evangelist or a missionary that's going to go over and save a foreign tribe and you will never connect it to your job today. But if you are faithful, God always redeems that, y'all. We serve a redemptive God that is about the restoration of all things, not some, all. And so we should be faithful where we are or how working at your company is actually going to financially position you to be able to fund a Bible translation amongst a people group that doesn't have access to the word right now. And we don't realize how our faithfulness today actually paves the way for generations to come. Be faithful where God has you, y'all. And we have no idea even why God gives us vision sometimes, why God may be calling you to pray more or to be more involved in your community group or whatever it might be, because we don't exist in the future, but God exists in the future. So he knows why he's calling you into something. He's giving you a vision as to what he's calling you into. We just need to be faithful to walk in it. I mean, even in this story, look at how Nehemiah is pointing us to Jesus. All faithfulness points to Jesus, y'all. And Jesus, in reality, is the true and better Nehemiah. Jesus is the cupbearer that actually uh, gave the better wine before the king, his blood that was poured out for us. In fact, Nehemiah drank the cup so that the king wouldn't die, but but Jesus drank the cup so that we wouldn't die. He laid down his life as the king so that we might become sons and daughters of the king, the most high God. In fact, think about this story that we just read here and put it into context as to what Nehemiah is doing how his faithfulness is paving the way for the person of Christ. Nehemiah, he's talking to the king in a palace, and he sees from a distance that his people are in ruin. This grieves Nehemiah, so he leaves his palace and the kingdom, comes down to be with the people. He then identifies with the people, saying us language throughout this text, to bring protection and salvation from the same enemies that we see in this chapter, ultimately to gather them together again to worship the king together as a community, lifting up the name of Jesus together. My guy, this is a wild, right? Because Jesus is the better king who was in the grander kingdom, who was in the very presence of God and yet was able to leave that better kingdom when he saw our suffering and come down, not just to identify with us, but to literally become one of us at that moment. And he breaks down the dividing wall of hostility with his 
flesh that he might bring salvation and protection to deliver us from our greater enemies than Sambalit, from the enemy of sin and separation from God. And if we then trust in him and believe in him, then he will gather us together to worship him again, both now and in eternity. And then he calls us, just like Nehemiah, to prepare a better kingdom that more people might come in. Jesus is the better Nehemiah. And Nehemiah's faithfulness is pointing to the faithfulness of Jesus, just like your faithfulness will point to the faithfulness of our Lord. As you are faithful, as you plan and pray, you are actually highlighting the beauty of Jesus, y'all. You told me not to clap in this mic, and I'm sorry. I just can't help sometimes, okay? Right? Nehemiah's faithfulness is just beautiful here, okay? And I think about even in like my own life, I see stories of faithfulness with some around me. I think about people like one of my mentors, Bob Christensen. Bob Christensen, in his 30s, he felt like God gave him a vision because he was in a time of prayer that he would be good for nothing. That's what the vision was. And so he started what he called a good for nothing fund. And what that meant was he wanted to be good for the kingdom at no cost to the kingdom, good for nothing. And so he began to pray towards that vision. And God's providence, point two, gave him a job where he was actually able to make a good amount of money so that he can actually put it into that fund. And then his faithfulness in that job and the faithfulness to complete the vision actually allowed him to retire at an extremely early age. And then he began to give away his time, effort, and energy to these churches for free because he had his money stocked up and he became good for nothing to the kingdom at large. And he now spends his time accomplishing the vision that God gave him many years ago even. He disciples like 78,000 people and I am one of them, right? And so are you through me through him in that way I am one of them and so are you so let's all pray right on okay right listen 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 okay Bob's faithfulness okay is a blessing to you y'all and I'm receiving that and it's because God gave a vision in that way in fact I was even thinking about our worship pastor Anthony and his story even over this past year because it's so clear to me that God continues to unravel vision in these really really beautiful ways You can meet up with Anthony for a coffee if you want to hear more of the story, all right? And uh, you can buy him his coffee this time. (laughs) And bless him. Bring a blessing to my brother, okay? But I think about how he began to pray and what God was calling him to do in his life. And then God began to sovereignly, providentially orchestrate things for him to move from New York to be here through us losing his videos and resume and application (laughs) to a member of the well moving to New York and telling us, yo, this guy is dope. You should look at them, right? And Anthony was faithful in the midst of all of that and began to make plans, even over this past year, that I think is going to bring healing through the world through his voice. I think he has the gift of healing with his voice and I think is going to spread out as he continues in faithfulness and planning and praying and God sovereignly providing. I see it in many, many people, whether it's Anthony in real day life or Bob with his vision or even us, the little tiny moments of faithfulness and God orchestration and planning. It's beautiful, y'all. You are existing in an unbelievable kingdom and God wants to use you in the midst of it. And 
all of these things, they move us towards vision accomplishment. And so I have a few things for us as we close today to think about, hey, how do we apply this personally, okay? My one question to you is, what is God speaking to you about right now? What is he putting on your heart? And maybe it's nothing. Maybe you don't have a vision. Y'all, that is okay. Go back to week one, last week. Look at how you grow vision and practice that and begin to try to find vision from God. Or maybe it feels really, really small. That's cool. I hope that all the examples throughout the sermon today show you that when we are faithful with small things, today's faithfulness is tomorrow's blessing in a lot of ways. And if God is speaking to you, here's what we would love to do. We would actually love to pray for you as a church. In fact, if you go back to the Connect page and if you go to the prayer request form, I would really, really love for you to put in what you feel like God is leading you towards. Don't feel like it's too small. It doesn't have to be life vision. Or if it's life vision, man, awesome. We would love as a staff team and as elders just to pray over that with you as well. And to be real with you, it'd be just really encouraging to see because we're not able to connect week by week in person, okay? And so whatever it is, y'all, take steps or take those classes or disciple that individual or ask them to disciple you or pray every night with your wife or start that business or go overseas or serve in our church or whatever God has put in your heart, do it, y'all. And God will continue to move in the background as you plan in the foreground and we're gonna see the kingdom expand because of it. Corporately, as individually, okay, now corporately, we actually have a really, really clear need to accomplish our vision at large. In fact, many of you actually heard about the building opportunity, and many of you actually filled out a survey, which gave us a bunch of information as to where we're at with that, which thank you very, very much for doing that. And so working with another company that's helping us assess all of this, they came back with some results, and to be very, very honest, it was off the charts encouraging, y'all. There was all of this excitement and this buy-in. We are a really good family together, y'all. I just want to say that. And it was encouraging for me to read as a pastor just how much we loved each other, how much you were loving the community and the body and the elders and myself and how much we truly do love you. And there was just a lot of good, good things there. However, one of the things that came back was we ain't got no money, <laughs> all right? And so literally what happened then is we kind of created these two plans, a really plan A and a plan B, okay? And plan A is that we would actually still move forward to get the Highland Space Building. And if you're new, we're looking at trying to move into a more permanent home for us. And that's plan A, is that we would actually go and we would get that building. And what I realized is after the survey came back, we're nowhere near being able to do that internally as a church. And to be honest with you, that actually kind of makes sense. We're a young church. We are a newer church still in every imaginable way that you would measure measure uh, maturity in church. We've only been a church plant for eight years even, right? And so there's all of this inability to do it by ourselves. And so even as people were willing to be generous and sacrificial, we don't think we'll be able to make the money that we need. But then I'm looking at the book of Nehemiah and I realized, yo, Nehemiah wasn't able to accomplish it either. It was actually a foreign king that gave him the provision to then accomplish the mission of God. And I was realizing that we really, at this moment as a church, if we're going to move into plan A, we actually need foreign kings, if you will, people who are willing to partner, even if they may not necessarily be a part of the well themselves, they see this as a greater thing that God is doing and they partner with us on that end. And so I actually just want to be really bold even and just ask, maybe, maybe what God is doing in your life right now in partnership corporately is actually that you're the foreign king and maybe God is putting on your heart to give to the well. I'll be very honest in ways that a lot of times people aren't on screen. We probably need about 
$5 million to actually get to a comfortable place, okay? Now, the whole thing is 15. If there's a real foreign king out there who really wants to bless, <laughs> look, I, look, y'all, okay? I'm praying blessings in heaven forevermore, right? And so that's the full need. But to get to where we need to be, we really need about an extra five. And then our church can really front the other part to be able to get a sustainable mortgage. And so maybe that's you. And maybe this is what God is doing. And maybe it's your family members who just spoke to you about how they want to bless the church community or whatever it is, I would encourage you to pray about that, y'all. And that's really plan A. We just need a foreign king just like Nehemiah did. Here's what I can promise you. If that happens and if we get to move into a permanent space, we'll build that wall, y'all. Just as we'll see later in Nehemiah with the bricks in one hand and the swords in the other fighting off the enemies, he accomplished what God was calling them to. So Israel still did it, right? And we will still send missionaries. We will plant churches. We will raise up leaders. We will be a resource to the churches and to the community around us. We will serve Austin. We will push back darkness. We will be on the ground doing it, y'all. We just need help to get there. That's plan A, okay? Plan B is actually, I'm really excited about, to be honest with you, because although we won't have permanent space, we'll still kind of be exiles in a way, we'll actually be able to move towards our vision faster. Plan A is really us creating some stability so that we can move towards vision long-term. Plan B, which will unfold in the later weeks, so sorry to cliffhanger you, all right, (laughs) but is actually to begin to accelerate towards our vision faster, where we're gonna be planting churches, whether we got a building or not, y'all. We're gonna be sending out missionaries, raising up leaders, partnering with DTS, raising up residents, uh, discipling individuals, really being a community that reflects our greater kingdom. We're going to do all of that in the midst of that. So whatever direction, we really feel like God is still leading us. We're just at that place where we got to ask, like, yo, which way are you want us to go, God? Okay. And that happens with vision sometimes too, because ultimately vision is actually hard to see because it's moving forward to where you aren't. But as you're faithful, God begins to clear the way. And as you just walk in that, man, God provides in that. And so we want to do, see God do big things. God saved us to make impacts in the kingdom, y'all. That's true individually and collectively. So keep praying for our church corporately, this vision, our family at large. Keep being faithful to build in here, even as Osagi was mentioning today, and the baptisms. I think that there's 11 people signed up for baptisms right now. We just had 11 people get baptized, and then we're in the middle of, of COVID and stuff. We still got a lot of people that can't come, right? God is moving in the midst of this. Let's keep praying and building up and be faithful where God has you. Because here's the reality, y'all even in our individual lives, your vision might not lay out for hundreds of years, just like God's vision for Abraham did not fill out even until today because we are sons and daughters of Abraham. But when you are walking in the will of God, there are fewer things that are sweeter in life, y'all. God's will and his presence in the midst of that will, it gives you joy everlasting, really. Because in some ways, you're tasting eternity on earth as it will be in heaven. And so I pray that we'd be a church that lives sent lives for the exaltation of our king. Hey, let's blaze forward, y'all. Let's blaze ahead, amen? Amen. Hey, I love you guys like crazy. Let's pray. Um, Yeah, Jesus, thank you. Um, Thank you for your goodness, God. Thank you for your joy. Thank you for your love. Thank you for vision, that we get to move in the midst of this world. Really, we should be a people without a lot of purpose, 
just kind of living just to live. And yet, God, you have given us eternal realities. We can make impacts in people's eternities. Thank you for that, God. God, I pray for those who may not know you right now. I actually pray they would, their vision would be a vision of you. That maybe they pray to you and they see your providence towards them, even in the watching of this message. And they move towards faith and they find the plan that you have for their life. And even as the opposition tries to come, that they would realize you, King Jesus, are drawing them to yourself that they would come to know you and follow you and give their lives to you today, Christ. And God, for those of us who have given our lives to you, I pray that you would give us vision and give us obedience and give us faith, God, and really use us in that way. God, that you would allow us to realize how you are orchestrating all things. You take broken things and you make them whole. God, you transform things that should not be transformed. You take the thorn and you turn it into a rose. You take the sea and you make it into a highway. And so even as we sing right now, God, I pray that you would do that in our life. That we would see that you are a God that wants to move. You're not out distant, just waiting for us to get to heaven. You are calling us to bring the kingdom even right here, right now, Jesus. And so I pray that this last song would be both a worship song to you from our hearts and also a prayer to you from our hearts that we would be able to see you are the God of the miracle. You are the God that makes a way. You are the God that wants to move. You are God. You are God. Let us worship you as God even now. And God, would you use us? We humbly ask. We know we don't deserve it. We thank you for using us. So use us individually, use this church family for the exaltation of your name, Jesus. We pray this in your very, very beautiful name, God. Amen.